Hi, my name is Ian Khan, and you're listening to the Innovation Times Podcast. I am a technology author, speaker, and an advocate for everything good that technology brings. A part of my work is running the Innovation Times Podcast and bringing together people from various aspects of the industry and talk about how technology is affecting the way that they perform their jobs, their functions, and how they're leading their organizations to change that's propelled by technology. As part of my podcast, I interview people from all segments of the industry and different verticals as well. Welcome to Innovation Times. I also have with me Dr. David Hay, who is the product strategist at Orion Health. David, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Tell us how you, because you are a product strategist, tell us how you intend to disrupt the healthcare industry and create value for those millions and millions and millions of people out there like me and you uh, that need access to healthcare. So I think that that disruption is occurring as we speak. Uh, one of the, and it's occurring particularly in the uh, development of a new interoperability standard called FHIR, or FHIR, which stands for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. And it's a standard which uh, has come out of Act 7 International, which has been involved in interoperability for, for many years. Um, and around about five years ago, they kind of looked at the, at the sector and, and, and realised that the the sorts of standards that existed at that time weren't really suited to the upcoming requirements, particularly things like mobile and such like. And so they, they had a, a project they called A Fresh Look and had a very clever guy called Graham Grieve out of Australia who, who led up that project. And what he did was, on the one hand, very simple, on the other hand, very profound, is that he looked outside of healthcare. And he said that, uh, he thought to himself, that sharing data isn't something that's unique to ourselves. We have our own challenges. Uh, but it's not, it's not unique, and out of that grew, grew FIRE. And so FIRE is, is, a, is a, a modern, internet-capable, interoperability standards, which uh, I, I like to think when I'm describing it like an elevator speech, it's got three main parts to it. The first, the first part, the first pillar, if you like, are things called resources. And a resource is a discrete bit of information that you want to share. So it might be a medication, it might be a problem, it might be an allergy, it might be the patient themselves. The second thing that it's got is what defines as the API, which stands for Applications Program Interface, which is a way of actually sharing the data. So it's a predefined way. It's in the same way as when you go into your browser and you type in a web page and address and up comes a web page. So behind the scenes, there's a whole set of, of APIs and standards which define how that works. So Fire does that uh, to a fairly detailed level. And then the third thing that's really important about it, important about it is that there's a huge, huge supporting community behind it. So you know, nowadays, for example, it's possible to go online, ask a question, get an answer inside of minutes. Uh, and really it's that community which is, which is, I think, the fundamental strength of fire. And you talk about disruption. So again, we've actually been quite, quite surprised in the fire world because five years is pretty short time for a, for a standard. Yet we're finding that, that there's been enormous interest in it. And so people are seeing that there's an issue and a problem with sharing data at the moment. And they're seeing that fire is the way in which they can solve that problem. And here at the conference, for example, I've been really delighted to see how many people are actually using fire or talking about fire. And the reason why it's going to disrupt things is because it's going to break down the barrier between systems. So currently, 
when you collect information in a, in a particular system, like an EMR or an EHR or something like that, it, it by and large stays in that system. So you wind up with individual silos of, of data. So if you want to try and assemble a complete picture of the patient, you've got to go to lots of different places. Mm. And those different places have got their, either they don't share it at all or they've got different ways of doing it. So what FIRE does is provides a standard way of getting access to all those different systems and or taking it out of those systems to put it into, say, some central repository if that's what you want to do. And what that means in turn is that it's going to be a lot easier to access that data and it's going to be a lot easier for different people to access the data. Mm -hmm. So currently, to understand healthcare data right now, you need to really be deep in the whole medical space. You need to sort of understand how standards work and they're not all that straightforward to use. Fire uses commonly used standards, commonly used technologies, so it means that people can come in who are not familiar with the healthcare space and immediately get up to speed with, um, with, with, with how fire works and start being productive straight away. And it's that business of adding value. So uh, I've, got a, I've got a slide that I often talk about, and it, it, it talks about the value to various sectors. And I, I, I kind of divide it down into a number of groups. So I say that, for example, if you are a clinician, the reason the, why it's of value to you, the benefits that you are going to get out of it, is that because it's relatively simple to understand, it means that you can much more easily talk with your technical people. So if you're working on a new project of some sort, at the moment, it's quite a disconnect between what the what the user, the clinician, wants to do and what the technologist mm -hmm. understands. Mm -hmm. Fire helps bridge that gap um, so that the clinician can be more involved yeah. in the in the project. And it's well established that the, the, the more you have your users involved in the project, the more successful the project is. And I think all of that's going to wind up with uh, the ability for a clinician to have a, access to more higher quality data in, in, in real time or near real time and that in turn is going to lead to uh, improved patient care. And then if you're a, um, if you're a hospital or if you're a healthcare organisation, again you have a similar kind of, kind of problem. You might have a PAS system and a PAC system and an RIS, radiology system and so on and so forth. Again the data is in all of those systems. What FIRE will do if they have an interface across them is it's going to make it easier a to share between those systems but even more importantly what a lot of hospital systems do is they have their own in-house development team doing you know, developments for um, specific needs for a specific hospital and at the moment those applications can't easily access the existing data whereas with fire now they can so you can imagine building a specialist app for a um, a diabetic nurse, for example, inside mm -hmm. of a hospital, which can access the admission data and the lab data and the medications data and so on and so forth, specific to that particular hospital's uh, needs. So it'll make it'll allow them to innovate in that space. And then the other uh, other sort of sector, if you like, there's two other sectors I talked about. Um, the first, of course, and most important actually, is the patient, uh, because what we are going to see is we're going to see applications that are specific to a patient's needs. Now they already exist. But they have the same kind of issues. They access data only within the context of that application. You've got to enter it through that application and get it back out again. It's stovepiped. So with, with a fire-based infrastructure, you can imagine the patient can get access to the same data as their clinician can, mm. which means that they can, they can check it for accuracy, they can annotate data they feel to be not correct, they can add to it and, and so forth. So again, they're going, to, uh, they're going to be able to participate more fully in their own healthcare. And I guess the last sector I sort of talk about is, is the vendors ourselves. Um, because Fire uses technologies that we are already familiar with, and also because a lot of the infrastructure has been defined, the resources have been defined, and the API has been defined, we don't have to do that. We can build on that, which means we can innovate and we can 
uh, create solutions for our, our own customers much more quickly and much more much more easier. Mm -hmm. So a slightly long-winded answer to your question. No, that's wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, let me talk a little bit more about some of the newer, again, for the lack of better words, disruptive uh, ideas, technologies, innovations that are out there, and you know, where are they from a from a perspective of being on your radar as to they can add value to the industry and the work that you guys are doing. We talked earlier um, with Chris and we spoke a little bit about Internet of Things. Two of the technologies we couldn't cover uh, are artificial intelligence and uh, blockchain. I would love to get your insights on these two technologies from your perspective, from how you see products evolving within the space. Uh, and tell us, uh, let's start off with, uh, with AI. Uh, how do you feel AI will be able to cater to the needs of the industry? I know it's in a very infinitesimally small uh, development right now, but how do you see AI uh, becoming bigger? AI is going to be huge. Um, and the reason why it's going to be huge is the amount of information which is available today is enormous and growing enormous. Um, we, 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 you know, with, with, with devices, you talked about the Internet of Things, um, there's just, and then there's, there's new understandings, there's new ways of, of interpreting data. It's, if it's not already beyond the ability of one clinician to understand, it's going to get in that kind of way. You know, it's almost impossible for a clinician to keep up with all this kind of stuff. So I think that by having um, AI or, or decision support services behind the scenes that can analyze this information, and more importantly, can analyze it in the context of the patient. So it's not just in general terms, um, it's about the individual that you have in front of you. Uh, and you can easily imagine so, uh, systems where um, you know you see a patient and then behind the scenes your system goes off and it says, you know, here's, here's my patient, here's the current data. Um, give me advice on how to manage this patient. And I think what we're going to see is all of this stuff is going to get wrapped up behind easy to use services. And again, I kind of come back to, to where fire and other, other, other standards are, are, are being developed. And they're going to make it easier for a vendor such as Orion or anybody else to easily invoke this kind of, of AI. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're then going to see is you're going to see companies which then specialize in various parts of it. Now, Orion is actually to some extent doing uh, machine learning initiatives itself, personalized medicine, but we won't be the only companies that do it. And I think all of our um, all of our solutions need to have the ability to pick and choose which ones we actually want to access because you know you could find that an AI is specific to oncology, to cancer treatment, another one might be for pediatrics and so on and so forth. Um, so, so in summary I think it's going to be it's going to be very large, it's going to allow, um, allow us to make better informed decisions, better quality decisions um, and that's going to improve patient care. And of course the other factor is is that the consumers themselves are going to have access to these services. So it's not going to be just the, the medical advice. So we could really see systems where you know, a patient might say, do I need to go to my doctor? Um, right here, right now, they can go onto the web and look up their, uh, look up their symptoms. That's a dangerous kind of thing to yeah. do. AI, on the one hand, could make it easier. On the other hand, could make it da more dangerous. It's interesting to see how it's going to go because a lot of clinical medicine, and I, I was a doctor in a previous life, does require you know, observations and, and, and things that only a human can do. Mm. But on the other hand, there's a lot that can be done with uh, with just self uh, self input information. So yeah. I think we're going to see we're going to see a big big change there. Yeah, with standards like uh, Fire being developed as an example, that that talk more about uh, managing information, sharing information, and how that is used. Do you think 
it's it's time now or in a few years for us to develop standards around AI. When when do you see that happening? Unless it's already kicked off in some to some form. I'm I'm not an expert in AI itself. Uh, interestingly enough, my son, who uh, is, lives in San Francisco, is is on the on the cutting edge of AI. Um, but when he tries to talk to me about it, I, uh, he loses me very, very rapidly. So in terms of standards, I can imagine that there will be standards which um, uh, give us access to AI. Inside of the AI itself, uh, I, I'm, less, I'm less certain. Um, I think we're probably at the early stages myself. Um, we have things like, like Watson's big, you know, big, out of big blue, out of, that sort of thing. Um, I think we're probably in the early stages. So I, 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 I don't know that we're going to have standards as such um, at this time. They'll come, but, but the standards from said is going to be access to those services. One of the big problems we're going to have, of course, is we're going to have to watch out for alert fatigue. We're going to have to watch out for, um, you know, something which, which sends a clinician 20 different alerts about a patient, you know, that's that's just going to be overkill. They're gonna, they're gonna have, we're going to have to distill it down into, into discrete aliquots of knowledge. Fair enough, so, fair yeah. enough, thank you. Uh, let's move on to another piece of technology that is, you know, creating big waves, and this technology is blockchain. And blockchain in many forms is, uh, you know, we have the Bitcoin and primarily it's being looked at as a disruptor to the financial industry and banks I want to learn more about it and figure out you know how to leverage it do you see blockchain playing a role in in the industry when we talk about uh, you know capturing data and making sure it's accurate and, and that whole value chain I think in the health space for the moment right here right now the jury is out a little bit on blockchain not quite sure whether it's 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 hype or whether it's it's serious um, seriously important certainly in the uh, in the authentication and in the consent areas that's somewhere where you can see it being used um, particularly areas where you might need to you know track back and validate that the right decisions regarding access were made so you can see a use for it there for the clinical data itself I'm not so sure um, it might be um, so yeah, I, th I, I don't think I'm going to say a lot more than that because um, I think we've got a way to go before we fully understand how it's going to help our industry. In a year's time, I might have a better answer for you. Uh, I think right now, some of the other areas that we're focusing on are more worthy of attention. I think we've got some real basic stuff that we're not doing right now. Uh, and I think some of that basic stuff needs the attention more uh, than, than blockchain does but I mean it's being actively looked at within the, uh, within the work groups I'm associated with there are certainly people that are spending a lot of time and understanding on it so it is definitely something to watch uh, and I'm going to be pretty interested to see where it winds up in, in say a year a couple of years time. Amazing. Now there's a lot of talk uh, and, and a little bit of uh, concern when, when we talk about technology and jobs and uh, no matter what audience I talk to whether it's in the Middle East in Asia in America's everybody's concerned about jobs and how jobs will be lost and how they will be created uh, my personal take and I ask everybody this question and I say this every time is my personal take is there will be tremendously amount of more jobs created as part of this uh, knowledge economy and the information economy that we're working on uh, what do you think I agree um, I think that what's going to happen you know, we talked about disruption before, and this is this is 
this is a good example. It's like, it's like you know, the classic, isn't it, when we went from the, the, the industrialization phase um, and uh, the, the, the new machines came in and the old jobs went away. And it is going to change. There's no two ways about it. Um, it's particularly some of the, the robotic stuff that you're seeing coming through now. Um, you know, one of the interesting ones I saw was care of the elderly. Right now, care of the elderly is carried out by very low-paid workers, um, and often they're, they're not particularly enthusiastic about their jobs, and that can be replaced by robotics. Um, I think, so, so, so things are changing, and, and you see elsewhere in, in other jurisdictions, people, people talk about jobs, and they sort of seem to think that somehow you can get the old jobs back again. That's just not gonna happen. I think what we do have to do is we do have to look ahead to think, where are we moving to? And, and you mentioned the word knowledge economy. Um, you know, what is the thing that makes that makes um, makes people better than others? And it's going to be kind of interesting, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we talked about AI just before, uh, and then we have robotics coming along. So finding the place where people are going to fit, um, I think, is going to be something we need to put some attention to. And I think we, you know, we do need to we do need to focus on what is it that, that makes a human different to uh, to other. Um, other possibilities and I think the other thing this is, this is really out of the air but yep. I think the thing is what I'd like to think I'm a glass half full guy most of the time I would like to think that if machines and technology can do the things that humans can do why is it then that humans have to work all the time why can't we look at doing other more creative things with our life? Why do we have to spend 40 hours a week at work? Why can't we spend 20 hours a week at work? Why can't we take advantage of the productivity that, that um, these, these things can give us um, and use that productivity to make our lives better? Um, I remember back in New Zealand, I was going back decades now, um, the, uh, the waterside unions, they used to be the guys that um, unloaded the ships and they had a real stranglehold on unloading the ships because they were the only ones that were able to do it. And they did it all manually. You know, they'd lower a net down and they'd, lower, uh, they'd fill it up and they'd pull the net up. And then containerization came along. And so now everything was packed in containers. And not only did that make it more efficient, but it meant that machines could very easily bring the containers in and out. So all of the waterside workers' jobs started to go. And they, they fought, they, there were some very bitter battles over that. But, but the whole point was those particular jobs went, but there were new other opportunities opening up. We have to find those opportunities, but I think we also have to say to ourselves, we should be able to make our lives better because of this sort of stuff. Uh, I think we do need to have something that fulfills us. It doesn't necessarily have to be turning up to work for uh, 40 hours a week. Yes. I know we're out of time, but your last two minutes on what will we see in the world from an innovation slash technology uh, disruption uh, point of view that's really a value driver for uh, the whole world from a healthcare perspective. What is it that will potentially be a, the biggest breakthrough? And even that technology might not be here yet. But what do you want the you know to happen that would be so big and breathtaking? Wow, that's a difficult one. Um, I I actually think the the robotics that I touched on just before. I think that's that's going to encompass a whole lot of stuff. It's going to encompass obviously the physical ability to move things around, it's going to encompass the AI to, to make these things actually work. Um, I think if we can get that, that stuff working and out there, and I think if we can manage that change, a disruption is always an unpleasant thing and there are going to be people that fall by the wayside, which is regrettable. Um, I would like to think that, that those of us who um, 
benefit out of those changes actually um, actually put our influence and our resources to assisting those that don't. And I think that what we're seeing in many jurisdictions, we're seeing people gaining resources for themselves, keeping them to themselves, and not sharing. And I think as a society, as, a, as humankind, I think that's a real bad thing. And I think it's going to lead to all sorts of troubles. I think we've got, we've got huge possibilities here. I'd love to think that it makes the human condition better. Dr. Haidt, thank you so much for joining us at Innovation Times at uh, eHealth Toronto 2017 and uh, we wish you a great conference and uh, we'll make sure we follow you. Do you have a website we could uh, we could all go to? Uh, well, I've got a couple actually. Um, I, I do a blog um, on fire. I'm, I'm the fire guy, okay, pure, pure and simple. They call me the arsonist back at, back at Orion because I <laughs> set the place on fire. So my, my, my number plate is fire, which is even worse. <laughs> Um, I do have a, a website, um, fireblog.com, uh, and I also do tooling for fire, which is clinfire.com, so yeah, I'd love to have people um, uh, turning up to those. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Hay, and it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for talking to me. Cheers.